Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Welcome to mini episode 322 of Real Life Ghost Stories. Yes, it is a mini episode because moving, busy, stressful, life, etc. I'm not going to bore you with the details. Let's get into the stories. And I have three spooky stories for you today. And the last story comes from the 10th of November 2023. And story number one comes from Karen. My in-laws have a small holiday home in Costa Blanca, Spain, which they have had since their children were very young. The whole family always spoke about the house in such glowing terms that they clearly adore the place and found it an absolute haven of rest and relaxation for them. So I was really looking forward to visiting it too. It's a very pretty whitewashed house with three bedrooms and on a lovely part of the coast beside the sea. It's what I would call an upside down house as the bedrooms and bathrooms are downstairs and the kitchen, living, dining upstairs. The idea being the bedrooms are darker and so cooler in temperatures if downstairs. The first time I visited the family Spain house was in September 1988, with my then boyfriend, who became my husband plus my future in-laws. We were there for a week-long break in the sun. All was going well and we were having a lovely time until night fell and we went to bed. I'm the kind of person who always leaves a small light on somewhere at bedtime in the hallway or somewhere not in my room just so there is a wee chink of light glowing happy and reassuring as I find the absolute dark quite unnerving. Not so my husband's family who are very academic and scientific no-nonsense sort of folk who believe only in the here and now. So it was lights off enveloping us in pitch black. I was feeling a creeping sense of unease but tried to tell myself that it was obviously because it was so suffocatingly dark. I did not sleep a wink until dawn as the whole night I felt there was something in the room trying to get my attention. By morning I was shattered, but relieved that the feeling had gone, and I convinced myself that it was my own imagination. Unfortunately, it was not my imagination, as the rest of the week at bedtime the same chilling feeling of someone desperately trying to get my attention. The week ended and my boyfriend and his parents left Spain feeling refreshed, relaxed and revitalised, whereas I felt exhausted and looked like death warmed up. I couldn't wait to get away from the place. Conversely, the house was absolutely fine during the day. It was only when night fell that it became unbearable to me. I would lie in bed with my eyes screwed closed tightly as possible in the certain and absolute knowledge that if I opened them I would see a face right in front of me. This was accompanied by a feeling of dread in the pit of my stomach. That feeling was with me every subsequent time I stayed at that house and grew in intensity over the following years. The years moved on 
and we are married and have our own small children and of course we have regular visits to the adored Spain house both on our own and with my in-laws and also some other members of my family. The feeling of fear and dread during the night is relentless and never leaves me and I do not sleep a wink until the light of dawn when I then grab literally a couple of hours. Annoyingly my husband is so chilled at this place that he falls asleep instantly and wakes up refreshed every single time. In my sleep-deprived state, I often lie there awake, secretly plotting to punch him, envious of his peaceful dreams. I spend my time utterly exhausted, as we have small children, and I am on the go constantly with roughly two to three hours sleep from dawn. No one else feels anything strange or sinister, with the exception of my young nephew, who was holidaying with us one time, and he asked if he could sleep in our room, as he couldn't settle. He was around 11 or so at the time, and I knew exactly how he was feeling, so of course we made a makeshift bed in our room for him. It was a bit of a crush as we had a cot in the room, but needs must. Curiously, of the three bedrooms, there seems to be only two that have this spooky vibe. The smallest bedroom is absolutely fine. More years go by and nothing changes for me, except that the feeling of dread, foreboding and someone trying to get my attention is escalating and intensifying in my sleepless nights. In the daytime, my logic takes over, and I'm trying hard to ignore it and just get on with enjoying my holiday. In the nighttime, the whole of the downstairs area emanates a heavy, cloying feeling that is hard to explain unless you've experienced it. I would put the kids to bed and race upstairs to the living room as if the devil was at my heels. As I said before, no one else felt anything, and my children slept in the small bedroom which wasn't affected, so thankfully I wasn't concerned for anyone else feeling like I did. I realised that I have to come to some sort of acceptance that this is what must be endured. I didn't discuss it with anyone except my incredulous, bemused and well-rested husband and a few friends, but certainly not my husband's family, who would have politely nodded and feigned interest whilst in reality were rolling their eyes at me. One particular night, as we were getting ready for bed, I was in the bathroom brushing my teeth, when all of a sudden the air around me started to feel thick and heavy and still, like invisible cotton wool squashing around me. I was looking in the mirror and terrifyingly saw my face change. My typically Celtic pale skin with freckles over my nose slowly mutated and evolved into the face of a young man. It wasn't a scary face, but it wasn't my face. It was the face of a young Spanish man, with a long, tanned face. I watched the face for a few seconds. Mercifully, didn't speak or do anything, it was just there. I then spoke to the face and said, Stop. You're scaring me. And in an instant, my face was my own, and the atmosphere was normal. I went into our bedroom and did I tell my husband? Nope. I said nothing, went to bed, and lay awake more freaked out than ever, in the grip of silent hysteria until dawn. I've no idea why I didn't run to my husband screaming, except I somehow just knew that if I told him and we discussed it, it would have given the apparition more strength and it would reappear. Back home in Glasgow after the holiday, I went to see a medium looking for some answers. I didn't tell her why I was there, I just went for a general reading. Amazingly, she saw that something really scary had happened to me recently, and she said that I didn't need to be scared because my grandfather, Papa Thomas, in spirit was looking after me, and would never let anyone harmful come to me as he was a gatekeeper of sorts. 
Just for some background info, my papa was my mum's dad, whom I absolutely adored. I had a crisis apparition of him as he passed, which you covered in your 15 Days of Festive Fear, day number 19, in December 2021. The medium and I discussed what happened and she told me that the young man was a casualty of the Spanish Civil War, who died on the land where our house was built. His name was Pedro, and he'd been trying since then to get help to move on but to no avail. Apparently, my psychic sensitivity had been like a small light in a very dark place and he was drawn to me. My seeing and speaking to him was enough to help him move on. Papa helped him too, and she said that he may bring the boy back to thank me the next time I'm in Spain. I assured her that that was absolutely not necessary. Since then, the house has had a very different atmosphere, and I am able to get some sleep. Not deep, blissful, dreamless sleep, but enough rest so that I am not permanently exhausted. My rational mind tells me that it is all nonsense, and can be explained by my intense fear of the dark, and the birth and cementing of my fears in my first visit to Spain House, which was then expanded on with every subsequent visit. But I know what happened, and how I felt, and how I watched my face change. My sceptical husband does believe something weird happened to me, and concedes that in the many years we've been together, I've some sort of Bluetooth to the other side, as I've had multiple psychic spooky experiences, but only this time where my face changed. On my next visit, I lit a white candle and said a little prayer for Pedro in the bathroom where I saw him. Mercifully, he didn't feel the need to come back and thank me. Sadly, as with the turn of the wheel of time, my in-laws are no longer with us, and the house has passed on to us and my husband's siblings and our children who are now grown. I feel able to talk about what happened with my kids now as Pedro has gone and all is well. They were astonished to hear my story as they, mercifully, like my husband, have always had nothing but good vibes, fun and fabulously relaxing holidays there. The presence of my dear departed in-laws is very apparent in the house now, but only in the many warm memories we have of them, but also it seems in the very fabric of the building as they spent so many long, blissful holidays there, and I always ask them to watch over us at the Spain house, along with Papa Thomas, just in case. Karen, I can't even imagine the frustration of being in a situation where you're in this sort of paradise dream house. Everyone's having a lovely time. Everyone's relaxed. Everyone is relishing in the sun and the holiday vibes. And you are there dreading nighttime and lying awake all night, feeling like there was something trying to communicate with you and being generally afraid and tense and anxious all the time. Because who do you talk to about? You know what I mean? You say to your husband, I'm up all night because I feel like there's something trying to communicate with me in the room and and he's just going to say, sorry, can't relate. I'm having a lovely time, sleeping really well. I um, loved where you said that you were having these fantasies, plans at night time when you were really tired that you were just going to punch him out of the frustration of him being able to sleep and you not being able to sleep. And I understand that in all that time, you know, it must have been really frightening to be lying there, wondering what was going on, wondering what was trying to communicate with you, wondering if there was something trying to communicate with you, etc, etc. And I know that seeing the face in the mirror must have been petrifying. But did it also offer a little bit of validation that you were like, I was right to be feeling like that this whole time. There was something trying to communicate with me and now it's fucking looking back at me in the mirror. I know lots of people see mirrors as like a paranormal device where you can kind of, 
make connections to the other side or communicate with the other side. Like I know there's such a thing as things like scrying mirrors, etc. So maybe for that brief moment in time, however it happened, everything aligned properly that he was able to show himself to you. And maybe it was his way of being like, I'm here and I'm stuck. Please acknowledge me in some way. I'm also really glad that you went to that medium and they were able to say to you, hey, you've had a really scary scary thing happened to you recently let's talk about it because it must have given you again such peace of mind and look at that the whole atmosphere in the house has changed how amazing now at least you can have good fun relaxing fabulous holidays there and not holidays where you can't look in the mirror for fear of seeing somebody else's face and strain number two comes from apple this experience happened at my uncle's house back in 2001 i grew up in san francisco And after I graduated high school, I decided to move to a small town where my dad's family lives. This town was three hours south of San Francisco and had a population of 70,000. It was a nice change to the big city life that I had had for 14 years prior. When I finally moved, I went over to my uncle's house and asked if I could speak to him briefly. He said sure, and then motioned for us to move toward the little table next to the kitchen to sit down and talk. I asked him if I could live with him and my auntie for a while as I attended community college, adding that I didn't like living alone in a new town that I had just moved to. He told me that was fine and I told him how thankful I was and that if he needed me to help out in any way around the house to let me know. I then left to get my things and in a few hours I came back and only brought with me what I needed. Clothes, my books, a toothbrush and some CDs. Almost immediately I felt a vibe that someone else was in the home knowing that it was only my uncle and me at the time. This perplexed me. I compared this feeling to a feeling of when you go to a friend's house for a party and there were people walking around. It wasn't necessarily a bad feeling, but it got my attention. One day I saw my uncle doing beadwork at the table listening to a radio talk show. I asked him if I could sit with him and listen and he said that I could. I told him that I wanted to tell him something that I experienced when I moved into the house on the first day and added that I hoped he didn't think that I was weird. He told me to tell him and I told him my feelings of there being a vibe of other people in the house when there was only me and him in the home at the time when I moved in. He said, you know, I'll tell you this. All the years that I've lived here, I've had some experiences that I couldn't explain and they didn't scare me much, but I noticed them. And I asked him to tell me more of what had happened. He replied, One night I was watching the History Channel and I was by myself in the house. It was close to 9pm at night, and your auntie wasn't home yet from her late shift at the hospital. I was in my recliner and behind me in the kitchen I heard the drawers and cabinets. I went to turn on the kitchen lights and a few of the drawers and cabinets were opened all the way out. So I believe you. I don't think you're weird or anything. A few months later, I had my own experience. When my experience happened, I was the only one in the home as my uncle and auntie were out for a while. My cousin, my uncle's daughter, Mary, was away attending her first year at university. So I was given her room by my uncle when I moved in. I was walking down the hallway leading to this room one night and it was pitch black as it usually is. This being my uncle's house, it was fired in the country and the last house on the block next to a field. 
there were also barely any streetlights to shine inwards towards the home. I turned to the right down the hallway leading to my new room. By this time, I'd grown used to walking into the centre of the room to pull the long string tied to the ceiling fan to turn on the light bulb. I was feeling around in the dark for the string, and then suddenly I saw something darker than my pitch black room come towards me. When this thing came towards me, it started to push me out of the room, and I wasn't able to see out of my left eye, which was even stranger. Of course, initially I thought it was a person. But while it was pushing me, I knew it wasn't human because it didn't have the characteristics of what a human's arms, hands and body feel like. This thing's arms and hands felt much bigger and where the fingers would be I would compare it to something like paws, but without the nails and the claws. And additionally, I felt this thing go through me during the whole time it was pushing me. After the pushing stopped, I was finally able to see out of my left eye again. I then found myself completely outside of my room, in front of the bathroom door. I just couldn't believe it. I was shocked and I didn't understand what had just happened. When I looked at how far I was pushed out of the room from where my ceiling fan was to where I found myself, it was a total distance of about 8 feet. Thoughts going through my head were, that is impossible. What in the world just happened? What was that? Whenever I look back on this experience... It is still one of the strangest that I have had in my life among all the other experiences I have had. When I did research on the previous families and the history of the house, there was a woman that lived there until old age, but there wasn't anything else that I was able to find out. I think it's it's really good that you were able to sit down and have that conversation with your uncle and say, look, I have this really weird feeling like I'm in a party and there's people wandering around the house. And that's such a specific feeling. Like people sort of passing you, people you don't know, you're aware of them, they're around, they're not interacting with you. That's a really, really specific feeling. I'm really intrigued by whatever it was that pushed you out of the room though. So it obviously, you know, like you said, it didn't, it wasn't human, it didn't feel human. There was no sort of human hands, so to speak, it was more like paws. And whatever this was pushed you right outside of the room. I wonder, was it rather than being something malevolent, was it something that was just trying to get your attention or trying to protect you maybe even from something. I would be really curious to know if like your cousin or anybody else that was living in the house had had any similar experiences or any experiences at all. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And our final story today comes from Burn. Now I'm going to tell you 
that this is a long story. Get yourself a cup of tea. Grab yourself something stronger if you need it. It's going to unsettle you and it's long. Brace yourself. This is a pretty fucked up story. I feel like it should be in every newspaper and news show, but it's ghost stories, so it's likely to be laughed at or ignored. I'm genuinely unsettled writing it and can't figure out how life will be the same again since hearing it. To be clear, I've used pseudonyms throughout to protect the identities of the people involved in this story. I'm a health professional working in a very busy general hospital in the UK. My best friend Alex is a middle grade doctor, which is why the only outlet is here and not the press. Alex is the same age as me, 35. We grew up together, went to uni at the same time, and after her years of training post-uni, she chose to work in the same hospital as me. Amazing. Alex is just like me in almost every way. We are both tall, we love sports, we have long brown hair, we enjoy the same movies and laugh at the same humour. One thing we differ slightly on is spirituality. Alex is a strict atheist. She doesn't believe in God, heaven, hell, ghosts, demons, psychics, nothing. She is 100% that science bitch. It makes her dry humour magnetic, kind of like a female Ricky Gervais. She's the kind of gal who will call out a friend who is talking about being visited by an angel or contemplating going to see a psychic for advice. She just won't tolerate it. She is, however, an excellent doctor who would go to the ends of the earth for her patients. I've spoken to Alex many times about how much I love your podcast. I've even had her in the car when I've been listening. She usually just rolls her eyes, laughs or says, do people really believe that they've seen these things? I just laugh or sigh. Secretly though, I love winding her up with things like this just to get a rise out of her. She will usually use science to explain how these phenomena have occurred and I will always be like, yeah, but... and point out the parts that simply cannot be explained. We always have a laugh in the end and no hard feelings are harboured. Ten days ago, Alex changed her tune. On Monday, Alex was informed that her office was being moved within the hospital. There is never enough space in the hospital. Clinical space is ever-expanding and there is only so much room in the building. So health professionals and their secretaries are being squashed into smaller and more crowded offices to make way for more patient beds and treatment areas. It couldn't happen during COVID due to the social distancing, but they are gradually packing us all in like chickens in a coop. Alex was getting moved with other doctors within her specialty to an office in the bowels of the hospital. It didn't bother her as she believed that the space was better off being used for people in need and she didn't care where she sat to do her paperwork. She packed up her modest desk possessions and made her way through the winding maze of outpatient clinics, past domestic staff quarters and towards a corridor that was long and empty. The corridor had a few doors in it but they were generator maintenance entrances and domestic storage rooms, DSRs. The last door before her office was the metal sliding doors of a lift or elevator for the international listeners. Then there was her office door. Beyond the office, straight ahead, were a set of windowed double doors with a buzzer outside. Beyond those doors, darkness. She didn't question where she was or what lay beyond the double doors and looked at her new office door in front of her, T-79. 
She looked down at her hand and the key in her palm had a little tag on it, which corresponded with the door. Room T79. She put down her bag and her box of desk stuff, unlocked the door and kicked it open. It was a really nice office. A bright and spacious workspace with a large window. The window looked out onto a brick wall but the light still flooded the room and it felt good. She was told that she would be sharing the office with two other doctors that she had trained with, another middle grade and a junior doctor. They hadn't arrived yet because they were both in clinic that morning. Monday mornings were for Alex's admin tasks, so she was given the only key to open up the office for everyone to arrive. She naturally picked the best desk in the room, the one next to the window, so she could put her two plants in the daylight. After setting up her workspace, she had a snoop around the other desks, Pretty basic facilities and not a huge amount of internet ports or plug sockets, which was weird, as all of the offices had these in abundance. There was a waste paper bin, a filing cabinet, some shelves with medical books from the 80s and 90s, three desks, three chairs, three computers and a huge new printer. The printer had been delivered the week before and was set up to work for the three computers in the room. Alex opened the window to freshen up the room a bit and set to work. After writing some reports, emailing some referrals to other departments and completing a few other admin tasks, she decided to print off some documents. When she clicked the print button, the drop-down tab gave her a short list of local printers. The one at the top, the recommended printer, was Room T79, next to the mortuary. She hadn't realised that the mortuary was nearby, but that explained the buzzer outside the double doors next to her office. This did not spook Alex at all. Death was part of life, and in a big hospital full of sick people, death was frequent and inevitable. I had asked her about people dying and what dead bodies looked like in the past, and she had talked about her experiences. She was always unfazed and talked about it like a secretary would talk about sheets of paper, but with the most respectful tone. It was just part of her job. At 12.30, her two colleagues arrived at the office with their bits and bobs. Two male doctors, Sam, a cool, calm Scottish guy with a dry sense of humour similar to Alex in his early 30s. Mo, a fun, energetic, sweet African guy with a really positive outlook in his late 20s. They were also happy with the space and even commented on how bright and quiet the location was. Yeah, it is unlikely to be rowdy around here, our neighbours are dead, Alex joked. The two other doctors looked at each other and Mo jokingly said, Yeah, I notice we're next to the mortuary. This must be where they send the doctors they don't like. Sam was like Alex. He didn't care about their proximity to the mortuary and he liked the peace and quiet. Either way, the three of them were happy and they went about setting up Sam's coffee machine and made themselves at home. The rest of her day went smoothly. She saw some patients on the wards and eventually made her way back down to the office. It was 1640 in July, so it was very much still light outside. The sun no longer shone directly into the room, but it was still bright and airy. Mo announced he was leaving and that there was an unalarmed fire escape on the next corridor perpendicular to theirs where he had put his bike. He grabbed his bag and waved goodbye while Alex and Sam continued to work. At five o'clock, Sam declared he was ready to leave and hit the gym and asked if Alex was done too. They both packed up, shut the window, switched off the light and closed the door. We should probably lock the door, huh? Alex asked Sam. Yeah, I think so. Confidential notes and all that, Sam supposed. 
The door was locked and they walked along the fluorescent lit corridor towards the next set of double doors and the fire escape that Mo had mentioned. Alex and Sam agreed that she should keep hold of the key to open up in the morning as she was the early bird and the two guys were not. They would hopefully hear from the estates department about getting two more keys the next day. Alex woke up earlier than usual on Tuesday morning. She lived in a flat on her own and usually woke up naturally at 6.30, did a quick workout, ate some breakfast and drove to work. She woke up at 5 on Tuesday and couldn't get back to sleep. She went through her usual routine and headed into work a bit earlier than usual. She would take some ground coffee and make a pot for the guys coming in. When she arrived at the double doors leading to her office corridor, the lights were all switched off. Maybe they were on a timer or one of the porters had switched them off through the night. She entered the corridor and was plunged into almost complete darkness. She felt about for the light switch, running her hands across the wall, her eyes beginning to adjust to the darkness, and she spotted the switch. Just as she switched the lights on, she swore she heard a simultaneous click. She instantly recognised this noise as the click of a door closing fully but very gently. It came from the only wooden door in the right side of the corridor, T-79. She thought the guys must have gotten in early. But they were never this early. It was an hour before they normally began. They also didn't have the key, so it must be a domestic cleaning the offices before the staff arrive. Alex walked up to the door quietly so she could hear if there was anyone inside. Nothing. Before she tried the handle, she gave the door a light tap, tap, tap. Nothing. She turned the handle. Locked. This was weird. She was sure that she had heard the door close. It must have been in her head. She was tired after all. She unlocked the door and stepped inside the office. Tuesday morning was a long morning and Alex was weary from the lack of sleep. But she was used to feeling this way. As a junior doctor, she would often work long shifts, especially during COVID, when doctors were dropping as much as the public. Mo and Sam had messaged her to say that they were heading back to the office to have a break at 1pm. She finished her morning ward round and headed back to the office. All three of them had a key to the office now. A man from Estates had dropped them off that morning. Sam had popped his in his pocket and Mo had attached his to a keyring which had his bike padlock key and his flat key on it. Alex had hers on her ID badge reel. When she left the office that morning she was the last out. She didn't lock the door, just closed it behind her with the familiar click that she swore she heard that morning. When she arrived in the corridor outside room T79, the door was still closed. The guys must be on the wards. She pushed the handle. Locked. What? She didn't lock it when she'd left this morning and why would the guys come back and lock it? Again, maybe a domestic had been in and out. She pulled the key on her badge reel and unlocked the door. She was even more confused by what she saw in the room. On each of the other doctor's desks was their key to the office. Alex sat on her desk and stared at the two keys. What was going on? They both took their keys and left the office. She had stayed, then walked out, leaving the door open. Even if they had both come back and both put their keys on the desks and left again, who would have locked the door? She stared for what felt like an eternity. 
playing the morning over and over in her head, trying to make sense of what was supposed to be reality. Then Sam and Mo broke her days. They walked in chatting and joking, but this soon stopped when they saw Alex. Are you okay? They asked, concerned at Alex's pale, confused face. She looked up and said, The keys. They asked what she meant and looked down at their desks. Their faces then matched the perplexed look on their colleague's face. They both immediately rummaged in their pockets in search of their keys. Sam's pockets were empty, and Moe's keyring had no office key on it. What the fuck just happened? Sam asked. Neither Alex nor Mo had a reasonable answer. They all knew they had left with a key each, and Alex was certain she hadn't locked the door when she left. They were equally unsettled and spent their break either sitting in silence or asking the same question over and over. What the fuck? Tuesday night was another fitful sleep. Alex woke again very early. She followed the same routine as the morning before and got herself into work. She decided that she would react in an amused way to the situation with the door if it came up again, as there must be a silly explanation for it. She arrived in the hallway, walked through the double doors and the lights were still on this time. She tried the door and it was locked, as she had left it the night before. She unlocked the door and entered the office. Nothing was odd. The room was as it was. All was good. Alex started up the coffee machine and checked her emails. Sam and Mo came in about 30 minutes later and joined Alex for a coffee. None of them had stopped thinking about the day before, and Sam was of the same frame of mind as Alex. There must be a daft explanation for the keys, Sam supposed. Like what? A shocked Mo replied. Well, what the fuck do you think happened? Sam responded in an irritated tone. He knew that Mo was a spiritual guy and waiting for an airy-fairy theory. Maybe this office is like haunted or something. It's next to the morgue, replied Mo. Alex had to step in. She couldn't stand for this chat. It's not haunted. You're entitled to believe what you want, but in this situation there is an explanation that does not involve bloody ghosts. They all looked at each other and burst out laughing. The weird happenings the day before were simply that. Weird. They now had work to do. Tuesday was non-stop. The doctors were rushed off their feet as a couple of senior medics were off sick and the hospital was on black, i.e. there were no beds and a lot of patients who needed beds queuing up in A&E. The three office mates were running around the hospital having to make difficult decisions every hour. When they got back to their office for a late lunch, they were fried. They didn't even talk to each other. Alex decided to go outside for a quick walk to clear her head. When she got back, the other two were already away back up to the wards. She grabbed her stethoscope and pens and went straight back out the office door and stopped. Two bodies. Two dead bodies on two trolleys were in the corridor right outside the room. She held her breath. Where could they have come from? She had just walked in the door, picked up a few items and walked straight back out. There is no way that two, or it could even have been four, porters could have negotiated the double doors silently and then left the two trolleys there in what was only about 10 seconds max and then ran off. What's more, porters were not allowed to leave the bodies unattended in the hospital, which is why there were often two porters per trolley. Things just didn't make sense. Alex felt uneasy and a bit, well, frightened. 
Was she experiencing something inexplicable or was she simply stressed and tired? Either way, she locked the door to the office and ran off up to the wards. She didn't care if the boys had their keys or not. She could only think of safety at that moment and she wanted to protect her safe space from what was going on around it. Alex met the boys before coming back down to the office at the end of the day. She made up the excuse that she wanted to discuss a case on the walk back to the office. She definitely did not want to admit that she was unsettled by her lunchtime confrontation. When they got back to the corridor, it was empty, and she sighed a sigh of relief. Sam unlocked the office door and the three doctors walked inside the office and plonked onto their respective chairs. What a fucking day, Sam exhaled. The other two agreed. They decided that they wouldn't bother with any further admin work and just set off home. It was ten past five after all. They grabbed their stuff and started out the door. Mo was the last through the doorway, and he stopped suddenly in his tracks and took a step back, into the office, turning his head to the right. He was looking at the wall behind the printer. Is that a doorway? he asked. The three of them walked back inside and looked at the wall. There was a crack in the plaster skim, the shape of a doorway. They all felt certain that that crack wasn't there yesterday. However, they could have been wrong. All right, so there used to be a door there. Big deal, Alex said in a fed up tone. Yeah, but why is it not there anymore? Mo replied. Because an estate's handyman sealed it up, genius. Sam quickly responded. Mo clearly thought this was strange, but the other two seemed unfazed by the discovery, although Alex was putting on a brave front. Inside, she was beginning to doubt her rational logic. Alex went to bed early, but had trouble dropping off. She tossed and turned, thinking about the strange encounter she had had with the two bodies in the hallway that day. She tried to rationalise the situation, but could not explain it. Was the stress of the bed shortage situation in the hospital starting to wane on her? Was she needing to go and speak to occupational health? She wondered what to do. Supernatural happenings were not the answer. She told herself that over and over. But she was definitely beginning to think that this was what people in her friends, i.e. me, Spooky Podcast, usually spoke about. There is no such fucking thing as ghosts. Alex shouted out loud in her bed. She then fell asleep. On Wednesday morning, Alex woke with a start. She had slightly slept in. She grabbed her things and ran out the door without even running a brush through her hair. She couldn't believe how well she had slept, solidly, the whole night. She didn't even recall any dreams, which she usually did upon wakening. She put it down to sheer exhaustion and thanked goodness that she had slept so well. When she arrived at work, the boys were already there. She walked into the office and said, Morning, fellas, in a chipper tone. The two guys didn't move their gaze. They were very intently staring up at the wall with the bookshelves. The old medical books were lined up on the top shelf, equidistant, fanned, with the spines facing the wall, so that all you could see were the splayed pages. What the fuck? Who had done this, and more importantly, why? Mo turned to Alex and said, We have a ghost. The previous night's thoughts raced through her head. Are we all going mad? Are our senior medics playing an elaborate joke? Are the porters getting a laugh at our expense? She was stumped but decided she wanted to try and get to the bottom of it all. 
While on the wards that morning, she asked her consultant about her office. Where exactly is it again? He asked. It's the office at the end of the outpatient corridor next to the mortuary, room T79. Alex responded. Mmm... No, I'm sorry, I haven't heard of any offices down there. Although I know that estates are sticking folk anywhere that they can get the space these days due to space shortage in the hospital, her consultant rationalised. Alex was frustrated. She asked several senior members of staff and they had no clue of the office she was describing. She then turned to a couple of porters and they said they knew of it but hadn't consistently seen it occupied. Apparently a few different members of staff had resided there for stints but no permanent residency had occurred. Her final thought was to call Estates and see if they knew anything about the office. A woman answered the phone. Hello Estates, she brightly answered. Hi, my name's Alex. I'm a doctor who has recently been moved into room T79 next to the mortuary. Your department set up the room as an office for myself and my two colleagues. I was wondering what the office was used for before and if it's still accessed by anyone other than the domestic team. Alex assertively and calmly asked. Room... T-79. Oh yeah, it was a couple of offices originally used by the pathologists down in the mortuary when the hospital was first opened in the 80s. Then it was briefly used as a relative's waiting room for when loved ones were identifying bodies. That was before they built the lovely extension where they wait now. It has mostly been empty for the past while. A few members of staff have been there on and off over the past 20 years, but only temporarily, she cheerily recalled. Alex then asked the question that she knew Mo was desperate for the answers to. You said office is plural. There's only one office. But my colleague noticed an old doorway that had been closed up and plastered over within the office. Was that leading to another room? If yes, then what is that room now? There was a pause on the other end of the line. Mm, yeah, I think, I think it was something like asbestos. There's, there's been a lot of it in the hospital. You might have noticed all the little um, warning signs on some of the walls and, and, and doors in the corridors. Yeah, but I just, I just think that room was full of it, she replied. Alex was not convinced by the estate lady's tone. She sounded unconvincing and maybe even a bit nervous. She pushed a little harder. Come on, seriously. I know something about that office is a bit weird. Just tell me what it's all about and I swear I won't spread it around. The woman sighed. Well, we don't really know for sure, but me and the girls in the office have heard a few different things. I'm not sure if the rumours are true or if it's just daft stories to freak the girls out, but the porters say that the second room was haunted. People would spend time in it and just get what freaked out. After a few years of strange experiences, they decided to seal up the entrance and blame it on asbestos. Alex was silent on the other end of the line. She couldn't believe what she was hearing. This was an employee of the NHS having an official conversation in work during work hours that involved ghosts. Fucking ghosts! Ags responded. Look, if this is the work of one of these nutty porters, it's not bloody funny. They might get their kicks scaring the girls in the office, but I do not appreciate this at all. The stateswoman changed her tone. Listen, you wanted to know why the office was weird and I told you. If you don't want to hear the answer, don't ask the question. She then muttered something and hung up the phone on Alex. Great. The hospital is overstuffed with patients, the staff are going nuts, and my office has a supernatural portal to hell. Perfect. This was all too much. Alex was fed up and exhausted. She wasn't getting enough sleep, she was run ragged all day every day, 
and she couldn't even get peace and calm in her own office. She was becoming burnt out. She was literally off the phone a minute or two. She hadn't even started another task when she heard people. Her immediate thought was the bodies in the hall, but that was just her mind going straight to weird because of the conversation she had just had. Wasn't it? She focused her attention and came to the conclusion that the boys must be coming along the corridor. She got up and walked to the door, but the hall was silent. Too silent. She suddenly felt alone. Vulnerable and tingly. It was like her fight or flight instincts knew something was nearby, something wrong. She looked around and finally recognised the sound. It was people. Very quietly and gently sobbing. Her heart began to pound in her chest so much that she could feel it booming in her face and her hands. The sound was coming from the fucking room next door. After she had sprinted out of the department, she began to calm down a bit. The adrenaline was still shooting around her body and she began shaking and laughing nervously. Don't be a fucking tit, she told herself. You are a medical doctor. You live in the logical world. No one has ever seen a ghost and there isn't any real evidence that they exist. You are not in an episode of that bloody podcast. She shook herself off and calmly walked up to the wards. She bumped into Sam while doing the rounds. Alex, I'm on a late one tonight, but I don't feel right. I don't think I can stay until 8pm, he said while looking down at the notes in the trolley. Can you cover me? He said wearily. She looked at his face, his stance, his pallor. Sam did not look well. She knew that he had a well-managed vascular condition and she began to worry. Right, Sam, come with me into the treatment room, she calmly but assertively whispered. She put her hand on his shoulder and his shirt felt clammy. She walked him towards the treatment room and motioned to the examination bed. Right, get up, let me examine you, she instructed. She grabbed the observation machine and started to wheel it across the room, just as Sam wavered, and then before she could react, he collapsed to the floor. His face was a waxy ivory colour. Eyes glazed over and his breathing was fast and shallow. She knew he was in trouble. Sam jumped up and pulled the emergency buzzer and then proceeded to help Sam. The next ten minutes were a blur of doctors and panicked voices. But when she walked out of the treatment room, Sam was conscious, breathing and on his way to A&E. She gave his hand a squeeze as they wheeled him off the ward. How strange it was to see him, a doctor, one of us, getting rolled away on a bed. With an oxygen mask on and an IV in his hand. He'd be okay though, she knew it, his colour looked better already. It was likely a vasovagal episode brought on from standing too long, dehydration and stress. Sam was in good hands now. However, Alex was now on the late shift. For the first time in her career, Alex saw the minutes fly towards 8pm at the fastest rate. Sam had fallen ill at 3pm and it was now 7.40pm. She knew at some point she would have to go back to the office. She checked in on her last patient on the wards and then slowly walked towards the acute medical assessment unit. Sam had been transferred there from A&E instead of being discharged home. This made her nervous. She arrived and walked up to a more senior colleague that was covering the unit that evening. How is he? Alex asked timidly. Her colleague looked around and then explained how Sam was. 
They were quite sure that it was a vasovagal episode, but he had experienced a few more unresponsive spells since reaching A&E. They were monitoring him closely, giving him fluids and checking his bloods. He was needing a fair bit of oxygen, so there was clearly more to it. She popped in to check on him and he was asleep with a nurse rechecking his obs. He really didn't look well. How are his oxygen stats and heart rate looking? Alex asked the nurse. Not brilliant, she replied. He is at 95% on 8 litres and his pulse is 115. I think he'll be going to MHDU if this doesn't settle. Alex was beginning to get really worried and felt that she should stay with him. From the sparse amount of knowledge she had about Sam, he wasn't from around here and he didn't have much in the way of family back home. She decided she would go back to the office quickly to get their things and stay with him. When she got tired, she could always catch some shut-eye in the on-call room. She knew that she would be well looked after. However, she now had to go back to that fucking office at night, alone, and in a sensitive state. Brilliant. On the way, she checked her phone. Mo had messaged a few times he'd heard about Sam and checked on him in a at 5pm. He said in the message that he was really concerned about him, as he had been moved to MHDU. Alex quickened her pace. She had to get back to him, he shouldn't be alone. She knew the hospital was beyond capacity and the nursing staff were stretched dangerously thin. If she could sit with him, she could check OBS and monitor him closely while the nurses helped others in need. Mo also said that he had gone home and he would come in early the next morning to check on Sam before starting his shift. Alex was charged by the loving sentiment and held her head high as she strode along the now deserted, moody corridors of the outpatient department. She arrived at the office. The corridor lights were still on and the office door was locked. She took out her key and entered the room. Relief. There were no apparitions, demons or levitating stationery in there. She breathed a deep sigh and laughed at herself. You are an absolute idiot, Alex, she told herself out loud. She quickly tidied away her notes and grabbed her and Sam's things. She was certain all was well. But when she looked down at her hands, there was a whitish powder on them. It was on her hands and only Sam's water bottle and backpack. What had she touched? She looked around and next to Sam's things she could see some sprinkling of the powder and some gloved hand marks around the area. How strange. Where the fuck did that come from? She sniffed her hand. It smelled burnt and vinegary. She shook the creeping panic off, wiped her hands with tissues, grabbed the bags and headed out the door. With both backpacks strapped to her back, she closed the door and began locking it. The key was stiff in the lock and she had to shuffle it about a bit to lock it. Just as she was turning the key, she heard the shuffle of feet. She turned to look at the double doors to the morgue. The lights in that corridor were off, so she was unable to see through to the department. Only a green glow from the exit sign illuminated the windows. She looked back at the lock and then back at the windows on the morgue doors. At that moment, an old, naked, bald, powdery white-faced man leaned sideways and peeked through the window with a smile on his face and then slid back out of sight just as fast. Alex screamed. 
and ran down the corridor as quickly as she possibly could. Her heart was pounding again, her body like jelly, loud ringing in her ears and a mouth devoid of moisture. She ran. She was uncontrollably hyperventilating and starting to cry. She didn't stop until she reached the main entrance corridor of the hospital and the safety of other people. She wanted to rationally and scientifically explain what she had just seen, but she knew that was not a living human. But what the fuck was it? Alex spent that night with Sam in MHDU, surrounded by bustling doctors and nurses and felt safe. She didn't go back to the office the next morning. She phoned Mo and told him that the office gave her the creeps and she didn't want to go back. Mo felt the same. He came to the MHDU and got Alex and Sam's keys. He returned the keys to the estates and said the office was too cold and smelled of chemicals. The estate staff didn't ask questions just nodded and organised spaces in a larger office on the ward. Alex spoke to me on the phone tonight once I messaged her to say that I'd finished off writing this. She told me the story in voice messages each day as they happened. Sam is currently still in hospital and Alex has been with him every morning and evening while he recovers. The doctors aren't sure what happened to him but are putting it down to his previously mentioned vascular condition. This has never happened to him before. He is getting better though slowly. Alex, on the other hand, is struggling with her belief system, as she is certain that the goings-on in room T79 are not explainable by science. We are both, obviously, seriously freaked out by this. Are all of the events standalone coincidences? Or was there something going on in that section of the hospital? All I can say, for sure, is that Alex, Sam, Mo and myself will never be going anywhere near that corridor in that hospital again. That traumatised me. (laughs) As you guys know, I generally record with my back to the room and I honestly, when that powdery man peeped around the corner and smiled, peeped into the window and smiled and then disappeared again, I nearly had to stop the recording and take a break because that was intense. That was intense. So firstly, going back to the beginning of the story, I always respect people when they're like, I believe in ghosts, I believe in this, I believe in that, or I don't believe, etc. I think it's a really healthy thing to have those conversations with people and debates and people don't surely believe these things and then you have a conversation about it and why people might believe it. And I always think that why people believe these things is is far more interesting than the just the simply the belief itself. And I think for the most part, you know, initially you would be thinking, whatever has happened... There's a, there's, there has to be a reasonable explanation. Like the keys, there has to be some reasonable explanation. Somebody's surely playing a trick. Somebody's playing a prank. I would be thinking the same thing. There's like porters playing a prank. There's, you know, maybe some other staff members are playing a prank because they know that we're in this office down by the mortuary. I, I wouldn't immediately think these things were supernatural. And if I was Alex, I'd probably be thinking, are Mo and Sam, are they are they playing a prank on me? You know, because they know that I'm really a, a staunch atheist and I don't believe in anything. Are they thinking we're going to we're going to freak this bitch out, you know? And I also would understand with the absolute raging state of the NHS at the moment, how doctors and junior doctors would be absolutely exhausted and feel like I am going mad I'm losing my mind. Something is wrong with me because I have this feeling that I'm being watched or these weird things are happening in my office and I don't know how to explain them. Surely I need to go to Oc Health and tell them that I can't I cannot be working at the moment because I'm losing my mind. I'm so tired. 
so do we think that 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 powdery bald dead guy was nipping in and out of the office and going through their stuff is that what the powder was all over sam's bottle and various things was the powder from that man i honestly feel like i might start crying this has scared me so much i'd be like absolutely not somebody else can go down into the fucking hell hole office thank you very much with the portal to hell in it and here's the thing right even though alex is apparently not a believer she was still giving updates every day as to what was going on so she clearly thought something something interesting was happening if she was giving updates about it every day i can't get that image of that man out of my head it just is honestly giving me such heebie-jeebies at the moment Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you for being so patient with me while my life has been upside down and inside out and I've been moving house. Hopefully after today's episode, everything will return to blissful normality and normal service shall resume. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you would like to send in your story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast.gmail.com. You can also check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And if you are desperate for some extra content, you can subscribe to the Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content, as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad free. And on that note, I shall see you next time. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.